Please stay tuned for important disclosure information at the conclusion of this episode. We're heading toward a future with more electric vehicles on the road. Listen to this. EVs and hybrids will make up two of every three vehicles sold worldwide by 2030. Climate change, government regulations, and subsidies are driving the push toward faster adoption. However, there are some potential speed bumps ahead. You're listening to a bonus episode of Investing Insights. Market X-Ray looks at investment opportunities and risks beyond the market headlines. I'm Ivana Hampton. Joining us today is Seth Goldstein from Morningstar Research Services. Seth, could you introduce yourself and tell us about your role? Hi, Ivana. Thanks for having me. I'm a senior equity analyst at Morningstar covering agriculture, chemicals, lithium, and electric vehicles. I've been at Morningstar a little over five years, and before that, I worked on mergers and acquisitions in the utilities and financial services industries and did public relations for the U.S. Census Bureau. Thanks, Seth. And Driss Limbashart is from Sustainalytics. Driss, we want to know about you and your role as well. Hi, Ivana. Thank you for the invitation. Um, for myself, I lead the Transportation and Infrastructure Research Unit at Sustainalytics, of which the automobile and auto supplier industries are part. As to my main role, it is uh, through our flagship product, UHC Risk Rating, that we provide a score assessment of risks on material ESG issues for companies, including controversies that are involved in. I have been with Sustainalytics for four years now and in the ESG uh, corporate social responsibility rating space for around eight years. Thanks, Driss. Guys, let's get started. Seth, I read your report and saw in bold letters that EVs and hybrids will be two of every three autos sold globally by 2030. I have to admit, I was shocked. <laughs> I mean, that's <laughs> nine years away. What is happening now that makes that possible in less than a decade? Well, what's happening now is similar to any new technology. When you think about a new technology, oftentimes they cost more and there's still little hiccups to work out before it can really be used by a mass audience. The same thing's happening today with electric vehicles. Currently, they're more expensive, but they're getting cheaper and the technology is improving. So today, an EV costs more than your traditional internal combustion engine car, and quite frankly, it doesn't work as well. An EV can't drive as far, takes longer to charge versus filling up your gas tank, and there's not enough places to charge. So this leads people being interested in electric vehicles but not actually wanting to buy one. But the good news is that these issues are just temporary and the EV continues to get better each year. Costs are falling, range is improving, charge times are getting better, and more chargers are being built. So by 2025, we think the EV will be cheaper and will function just as well as the internal combustion engine. And at that point, these will be just another car on the road and this will drive higher EV sales. Well, that's something to look forward to. But Seth, a big piece of rapid electric vehicle adoption is addressing what you call road trip anxiety. It's that worry of running out of charge between point A and point B. And the solution appears to be more charging stations. Morningstar has forecast that China, the EU, and the U.S. will have enough of these to support by 2030. How do these countries accomplish this? 
Yeah, so when we look at consumer surveys, the lack of places to charge is the number one hesitation to buying an electric vehicle today. Number one, even more than having to pay more for the vehicle itself. Most people can either charge at home or find a place to charge where they live. So the fear really isn't about going about your day-to-day -day life. It's a question of, can I take a road trip in an EV or will I be left in the middle of nowhere because I can't find a place to charge? The solution is that fast chargers are going to be built along highways and in cities to give people confidence that they can take a road trip in an EV. And in the US, Europe, and China, all the governments are taking silly different approaches, but generally it's the same. They're providing grants and incentivizing companies to build chargers along highways and in cities. Now, Driss, what are some of the environmental, social governance, or ESG risks associated with this shift toward electric vehicles? Well, um, there are as numerous as uh, such a transition of this scale would entail, but let us go over some of the major imminent ones. The cobalt rush that is needed for large-scale battery manufacturing remains problematic, and risk related to forced labor and child labor in the cobalt supply chain remain material. As you may know, more than 60% of cobalt is mined in the Democratic Republic of Congo. On the environment side, while the focus is on the range and price of batteries at the moment, more research concerning recyclability and reuse of recharged batteries need to be conducted. Regulators can always step in to enforce more stringent laws on the disposal of batteries as EVs gain in popularity. On the labor side, such transition will lead to intense competition over new talent in the engineering and IT spheres between uh, not only automakers, but also auto suppliers and some IT giants in the sphere of automation. On the other side of this human capital equation, and as EVs are way less complicated to build than internal combustion engine cars, massive layoffs will be needed to accommodate the transition and cut costs, mainly for R&D. If such restructuring is not managed well, there are risks of disrupted labor relations that may lead to strikes and costly work stoppages. The industry is indeed highly unionized. The 2019 40 days strikes concerning General Motors job cuts and relocation plans are perfect example in this regard and did cost the company around 1.75 billion. So you've given us the risk. Well, how can EV expansion unfold in a sustainable way? Well, part of the answer is truly technological. It is in the advantage of automakers to reduce, for example, minerals in their batteries in order to reduce their prices. But more than that, automakers need to have stronger systems in place in order to trace sourced material beyond tier one and tier two suppliers and conduct supply chain due diligence indeed. Automakers also should make recyclability a priority within their eco-design programs. No tight pipe emissions from cars do not absolve EV makers of their responsibilities in this regard. Strong retraining programs and concerted dialogues with unions can help avoid a very confrontational course between employees and automakers in the context of minimizing impacts of layoffs and restructuring related to the electrification transition. Well, Seth, you covered Tesla. 
The company leads among electric vehicle makers and produces its own batteries. What advantages does it have over its competitors? Yes, so we award Tesla with a narrow economic moat rating, which is our term for a sustainable competitive advantage. And Tesla's advantage comes from a few things. First, Tesla has a very strong brand that allows the company to charge higher prices and compete in the luxury auto market with your companies like BMW or Mercedes. Second, Tesla has the best technology for electric vehicles and autonomous vehicles. This technology advantage also helps drive a strong brand, as many of Tesla's you know, loyal consumers are big technology enthusiasts. And when you think about Tesla's tech, you know, there's the Model S Plaid that can go 0 to 60 in under two seconds or the self-driving tech that's getting closer to the point where the car can do most of the driving functions itself. And these types of things make people want to buy a Tesla. And finally, Tesla can make their cars cheaper than their competitors. It's something that we call a cost advantage. And all of these contribute to Tesla having a competitive advantage over other automakers. I see. And Driss, what should investors know about Tesla when it comes to sustainability? Well, Tesla's performance on the environment side is laudable when compared to most of the industry, which basically relies on sales of internal combustion engines, cars to finance the electrification transition. Um, achieving profitability as a pure play EV makers as of today is a feat in itself. And from our perspective was achieved as a combination of regulatory credit sales, which were 1.58 billion in 2020, the growing popularity of its brand, as said mentioned, uh, the 2019 expansion in China without obligation of a joint venture with a Chinese partner, its in-house battery technology, and the deployment of its own EV charging infrastructure. However, there is some room for improvement on the social and governance pillar. On product governance, which we treat under the social pillar uh, at Sustainalytics, the company still faces considerable challenges to scale production in the presence of bottlenecks in its supply chain, as well as battery cost reduction efforts, exacerbated by a context of shortages related to the pandemic, as you may know. The facts related to batteries and the deployment of its autopilot software remain major challenges ahead, notably in the US and in China. The company has been targeted lately by an investigation from the US National Highway Traffic Safety Administration concerning the software. Lack of reported external certification for its quality management system is also an issue of concern. On labor, Tesla has been involved in a controversy over alleged anti-union activities in the U.S. and has been subject of an unfavorable ruling on labor laws by the U.S. National Labor Relations Board. Also, Musk's confrontation with the Securities Exchange Commission over controversial tweets weighs negatively on Tesla's corporate governance performance. Well, if our listeners are looking for investment opportunities in the electric vehicle supply chain. Where should they look? And I'm going to drop a name here since we're talking about them. Tesla. Is it a buy or not, Seth? Uh, Tesla is one way to get exposure to electric vehicles, but we think it's a little overvalued right now. So we see better opportunities elsewhere. 
And the thing to remember about electric vehicles is that you can buy companies that make the products upstream that ultimately end up in the electric vehicle. So when investing in greater electric vehicle adoption, we tend to like companies and industries within the electric vehicle supply chain where investors still get that exposure, but you're not necessarily buying someone who makes the car themselves. For example, all EVs have batteries and all EV batteries have lithium. So investing in a low-cost lithium producer like the Chilean company SQM is a good way to invest in electric vehicle growth. Similarly, EVs need more semiconductors than internal combustion engines. So a semiconductor maker like NXP Semiconductors that focuses on selling to automakers is another good way to invest in EV growth. And finally, all cars, whether they have an engine or have a battery and a motor, need some sort of powertrain components. It's what makes the car uh, be able to go from point A to point B or what's under the hood. So while these parts are different for EVs versus engines, a company like Borg Warner is a market leader in EV powertrain. All right. Well, you guys have given us a lot to think about as the EV expansion speeds up. Morningstar Research Services, Seth Goldstein, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Ivana. I appreciate it. And Sustainalytics, Driss Limbishar, thanks for being here. Thanks again for the invitation, and it was a pleasure. And special thanks to our audio engineer, George Cassidy. I'm Ivana Hampton, a senior engagement editor at Morningstar. Want to hear more of Market X-Ray? Email us at podcast at morningstar.com. Thanks for listening. This recording is for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Opinions expressed are as of the date of recording. Such opinions are subject to change. The views and opinions of guests on this program are not necessarily those of Morningstar Inc. and its affiliates. Morningstar and its affiliates are not affiliated with this guest or his or her business affiliates unless otherwise stated. Morningstar does not guarantee the accuracy or the completeness of the data presented herein. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered tax advice. Please consult a tax and or financial professional for advice specific to your individual circumstances. Morningstar Research Services, LLC is a subsidiary of Morningstar, Inc. and is registered with and governed by the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. Morningstar Research Services shall not be responsible for any trading decisions, damages, or other losses resulting from or related to the information, data analysis, or opinions or their use. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. All investments are subject to investment risk, including possible loss of principal. Individuals should seriously consider if an investment is suitable for them by referencing their own financial position, investment objectives, and risk profile before making any investment decision. 